Live in Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity is committed to fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment where differences are valued, practices are equitable, and employees experience a sense of belonging that allows them to bring their full, authentic selves daily. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. So if you want to learn more about Doximity, go to your app store and type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Again, that's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and my goodness gracious, you know, it has been over four years, almost five years, four and a half, right, years since Living Corporate has been around. We launched this back in spring of 2018, and I remember Living Corporate when we were looking at, okay, like, what do we really want this to be? Like, what's the vibe? Like, what's the brand? What's the purpose? What's the goal? And there were brands that we were looking at. You know, as you know, we've had Ellen McGirt on um, with Fortune. And we talked, I talked about, I told her to her, to her face, virtually to her face. You know, I told her on my, I told her on the record (laughs) that um, her profile uh, and the work that she was doing to highlight black male executive experience was an inspiration for Living Corporate. Uh, you know, another pod that we really enjoy, that I, I enjoy quite a bit, and I continue to enjoy, um, is the read. Just like the uh, the irreverence of it, uh, at the same time, like the practical wisdom and entertainment that comes within that, from um, from Crystal and Kid Fury, that was an inspiration. Uh, the Joe Budden podcast at the time was an inspiration. Decent and Merrill was an inspiration because it was like, it was like low quality, high low quality on like the audio side like low budget high quality my bad low budget high quality content so really enjoyed like that vibe of like hey it doesn't have to sound perfect and polished for people for you to get an audience or people to really listen to what you have to say really enjoyed that um i think about the right time with bomani jones right? like there's a bunch of different shows that i got pulled from to say man i really what's the vibe that i really want to create here? and there was a through line of just like authenticity consistency, um, self-awareness, humor, with also like a high degree of intelligence, right? And so, you know, those were shows that like really inspired me and really inspired like what Living Corporate started off to be and what Living Corporate continues to to evolve into, right? Like those were, those were and they continue to be inspirations. Then I thought about uh, other brands that I really was inspired by and like I was like, okay, where do I... Like, this makes sense. Like, how do I, how do we continue this forward? So I thought about Black Enterprise, right? I thought about uh, Essence, you know? And I thought about Great Places to Work, which, you know, we've had Michael C. Bush on. I talk about it all the time because it's one of my favorite interviews that we've ever had. But I also was really inspired by Diversity, Inc. Diversity, Inc., everyone knows like who and what Diversity Inc. is. Anytime there's a brand that wants to be like recognized um, for what they're doing to create more equitable places to work, they look at Diversity Inc. Anytime there's an employee who wants to understand how equitable um, their a company is, they engage Diversity Inc. Um, you know, I'll say like as I've like transitioned from career to job to job, I've always looked and seen like, okay, what are the rankings? Uh, and I would say that while a lot of these rankings are kind of like pay to play, right? Like not a lot, but a good number. You know, the, the two that stick out to me that are not that um, are great places to work and and diversity. And so, you know, I've been looking to and been interested in interviewing Carolyn Johnson, who's the CEO of Diversity Inc. for some years now. And it's just so funny how timing works out. This conversation um, happened just a couple of weeks ago where I was introduced to um, to, to, to Ms. Johnson 
to interview her for the show. And I've just been really excited. I've been so excited about this conversation, not just about her experience and journey as an executive and her um, her matriculation uh, to the office of uh, CEO at Diversity Inc., but also the role that she plays and the heavy influence she has um, across Fortune 1000, Fortune 12000 <laughs> organizations um, and, 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 and organizations smaller than that, right, um, across the world um, and really what it means to really respect and appreciate data, especially in a season where uncertainty continues to be the norm, where anxiety continues to be the norm where the workplace is more politically charged and anxious than it has been. Some would argue that it has been ever. Um, when you think about like the shifting charged political landscape, you think about how connected the worker is to everything else that we do not have like really siloed times anymore. You have employees who are, they're not just at work, like they're at all these other places too because of the way that technology brings all the information to us and so like again like the workplace is so different cultures are so different uh, higher degrees of accountability and awareness again because of technology so just a lot right like i was so excited to have this conversation and i and i cannot wait for y'all to hear it uh Cameron and i spoke for over an hour and we're going to give y'all the whole conversation because she had bars for us, okay? She had bars, she was ready. She was ready. And um, you'll, even hear, you'll even hear me say, like, I really appreciated her energy in this. So with all that being said, we're gonna go straight to the conversation. No episode of Workplace Democracy this week because we really wanna make sure y'all hear this conversation with Carolyn. We'll make sure that y'all hear Workplace Democracy later this week, like on its own, because I don't want y'all to lose that either. I wanna make sure that we get to this conversation. All right, we'll catch y'all next time. When you're building a culture of belonging, every word counts. That's why Textio brings the world's most advanced language insights into your hiring and employer brand content. Our industry-leading approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning provides the tools needed to find more diverse candidates. In short, Textio builds more equitable workspaces, guiding businesses and writing more inclusive job posts. And we're building on that success by bringing even more products to the market for all people who share our belief that language matters. Words have power. And at Textio, we harness that power to increase the access and availability of value-driven work for everyone. Living Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity helps over 2 million medical professionals. We are the largest medical network that includes over 80% of physicians and over 50% of physician assistants and nurse practitioners. We don't take that responsibility lightly and committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. If you want to learn more about Doximity, check out your app store at D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. That's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Carolyn, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? You know what? I'm doing well. Look, um, here's the thing. I don't really know where to begin because there's a lot I want to get into. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm really excited. Uh, what what led you to joining Diversity, Inc.? And what can you share about your journey uh, to taking the mantle of CEO of such a notable brand? Oh, down memory lane we go. Uh, <laughs> so, um, to start, um, what led me to... Uh, becoming the marketing manager, because that was the first post I held at Diversity Inc., uh, was my love of publishing. Um, my love of effective, positive, helpful, impactful communications. Um, so prior to working at Diversity Inc., I worked at a full-service marketing agency uh, founded and run by a Black woman. And I loved the part of the relationship management working with publishers because I got to select which organizations or which publications we would do ad buys on behalf of our clients in. And I based that on the integrity of their editorial coverage. And so when I was thinking about my next, I wanted to get into publishing. I wanted to be on the other side, not doing the buys, but creating the content, right? 
And so, of course, the publications that I wanted to work at, um, which I guess at that time, every young woman, I'm 42 now, um, but every young woman wanted to work at. So your your Essence, your Ebony's, yeah. your Black Enterprise, right? Yeah. And, and, and rightfully so. They're like, you know, you just don't have the experience. You know, you've got a lot of people that are trying to get in there, not just Black. And I needed to cut my teeth somewhere else to prove that I was worthy, right? <clears throat> and so I went to work first at a... Um, a dot com that was during the dot com boom. Yeah. And I really understood how the content could drive uh, the point of sale of products, right? So yeah. that was a great experience working um, at a B2B um, um, a, a publishing cup organization. And then I was like, okay, but that's not what they told me. They told me that I needed print experience. Mm. So I got some publishing experience and then I went to work at Advanced Star Communications in their pharmaceutical and science group. I'm just gonna pause for effect there because the titles that I worked on were applied clinical tries and uh, pharma genomics and spectroscopy. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, five different publishers for seven different titles. But I got the experience um, with print publications that I needed. And I also got experience with managing our presence at uh, trade shows and events. So that was like an added bonus. <clears throat> but my time at the uh, full service marketing agency did expose me to a website, diversityinc.com. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes when you are a crisis communications uh, professional, yeah. people call you the ambulance chaser, chaser of the corporate space. Mm. Because when people do something wrong or get in trouble or make a promise that they never intended to keep. Come, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> never intended to keep you're there and you're watching it and so diversity inc at the time had um um like different um like uh, baloney meters and they would look to see if a corporation made a promise to um a nonprofit like the united negro college fund or that's what it was called at the time thurgood marshall college fund naacp if they did not come through on those promises we at the time, they would write about it. And so I kept them in my feed. I'm like, oh, when we had our pitch meetings, I'm like, well, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. Yeah. And I'm proud to say that we actually got business because of that newsletter. Yeah. Fast forward after 9-11, I'm on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, which in 2003, January, you can imagine how difficult it was to get there. Yeah. And I was reaching for an hors d'oeuvre at the same time a salesperson at Diversity Inc. was. And at that time, he told me that they had just launched a print magazine and I almost passed out. I was like, this this, this was meant to be. Yeah. Uh, he gave me his card. He connected me with Luke Visconti. Um, and then he was uh, one of the uh, co-founders. And I interviewed him that um, the next week, the top of the next week. He hired me that day. And um, February 3rd, 2023 will be 20 years that I've been with Diversity Inc. Wow. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of like intention that had to happen for you to really like to be here where you are today. But at the same time, there was also just some really good chance that, hmm? you know what I mean? Like, I think like a lot of people, especially like on the back end, not to say you're on the back end, but like, like I'm all over. It's Okay. <laughs> 20 years later, sometimes people will frame things like, oh, because, you know, I built it like this and I did it like that. And like the reality is some things just kind of happen as you're operating in your purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and speaking of operating in your purpose, one thing that I can definitely um, acknowledge as I look back is we we young African-Americans, we don't sometimes get the career coaching and 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 intention on helping us to form a direction that others do right um and then that's also it's not just based on race it's also class right if you're you know first generation college your parents are going to want the best for you but they may not know exactly how to communicate that and help you chart your course <clears throat> but what i will say whether it is race whatever your dimension of diversity is what doesn't change is when you show up and if you prepare as best as you know how, good things will happen for you, even if that good thing is you learn something you didn't know before. And so it doesn't matter who you are, as long as you show up and you attempt to be prepared, that is that that's how you manage the charting, the effective charting of your own course. Amen. You know, as as 
you know, we continue. You you talked about 9-11. You talked about really like, again, like some fairly pivotal moments over the yeah. last over the last couple of decades. And, you know, we continue to live and work in contentious times. Um, uh. You know, the SCOTUS continues like with the SCOTUS making decisions uh, that impact the lives of everyday folks who um, who who also happen to work in an increasingly tenuous environment. And look, this is living corporate. This is not. So I'm going to just say, right, we have we have a Supreme <laughs> Court, um, you know, taking away uh, uh, or, or rather attacking uh, women's bodily autonomy. We have um, we have the GOP um, looking to push and uh, looking to push again, like taking away of certain freedoms. We have. Uh, voting right, voting rights being um, undermined and, and uh, attempted to be stripped away. We have uh, queer and trans identities um, um, attempted to be erased by various types of legislation and behaviors. You know, like again, there's a lot going on outside of the nine to five that you clock in and clock out of your job. I'm curious, like, what's your perspective, like, in this in this environment, on what executive leaders can be doing to create the best experiences for their employees? Right. So um, it, it just occurred to me that while we like jumped on the screen and we started talking, I didn't say thank you for the invitation on behalf of myself and, and the team at Diversity. So let me just start. <laughs> let me just start there. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And um, I, I think with this question, there's some background that is, that is necessary. Um, so if you think about Diversity, Inc. and the fact that since 2001, we have been the standard <clears throat> for measuring and validating major employer human capital outcomes. And what do I mean by human capital outcomes? It is not just to have a diverse and diverse meaning um, gender, um, ethnicity, orientation, disability, seen or unseen and veteran status. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever your what, whatever the dimension of diversity is, and as far as human capital outcomes, it's not just enough to employ those people, but how are you developing those folks and then moving them to the top through your talent pipeline? So that's what I mean when I say human capital outcomes. And so <clears throat> if you think about it, we also measure the effectiveness of those talent programs that get people to the top of the organization or to the part of the organization where they believe they will be most effective. Because with, you know, younger generations right now, everybody doesn't want to be a CEO. I certainly didn't want to be. Okay. So how are you helping people develop themselves so they'll get to the part of the organization where they'll be the most effective to help the organization remain uh, competitive, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the way that we do that is through a survey. And this is what we're most known for. Uh, The way we do that is through a survey that collects data, company submitted data. I want to be clear. This is not about employee sentiment. How people feel is important, but how the policies, practices, and procedures that a company employs, that's the data that we collect. And we do it across six areas, human capital diversity metrics, leadership accountability, and those two categories are equally weighted because they're equally important. They are the bookends, if you want to describe it that way. Mm -hmm. We then look at talent development programs, um, and that's just for people who hear that but don't know what's really in the mix. That's your employee resource groups or employee networks or affinity groups, different organizations call it different things. Yep. Uh, we look at high potential identification. And what that means is, is the company telling you that you are worth everything they have to give to develop you? And are they telling you that? And is the fairness of the high potential identification uh, statistically proven? Mm-hmm. And then we also look at mentoring programs and sponsorship programs. So that's talent development. From there, we look at workplace practices, and that's everything HR-related, so employee benefits, onboarding, um, you know, diverse candidate slates. That's everything HR outside of talent development. Yeah. Then you have supplier diversity, and I think everybody knows what that is, and it's becoming a lot more important on the, ma- on the tongues of leaders now with this ESG, environmental, social, and governance movement. And then last but certainly not least is philanthropy. And that's a mix of understanding, not just based on uh, corporate contributions, but what are your leaders doing to show up and support underrepresented nonprofits? And then also, how are you arming and engaging your workforce to be able to volunteer and get credit for it? So that's everything that we collect through the Diversity Inc. Top 50 survey. So again, just to kind of level set before I answer your question, uh, that's Diversity Inc. That's who we are. That's what we do. Amen. Yes. And so, <laughs> got to get that little commercial in. I appreciate right, so, it. 
<laughs> surveys opening. Oh, no, I'm just playing. So, um, <laughs> but regarding regarding your question, um, with with the with the Supreme Court, you know, continuing to make decisions that impact the everyday lives of folks um, who also happen to work um, and an increasingly tenuous political environment. Um, you know, I think that's really where your question was going, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and so, mm -hmm. throughout history, business leaders have found themselves at the intersection of, <clears throat> excuse me, so, of tenuous political environments, right? Yes. And and that's with real world impact. Now he's no longer in a role, but Randall Stevenson, when he was the CEO of AT and T, in response to the murder of George Floyd, he was on CNBC and he talked about the fact. He talked about a lot. Um, and I would encourage you and your listeners to listen to that interview. It's only like five minutes and 46 seconds, but it's a well-spent five minutes and 46 seconds. Okay. And he talked about the fact that two things are happening. One, free markets cannot thrive when the people are in uprest, that, that are in like a, like a social unrest, right? Unrest. That's very important because you can't, you can't feel good about what you're spending and what you're consuming when you don't feel valued, when you feel like you're under attack. So that's one. And then two, this was one of the most powerful things that I've heard, and he has said a lot of amazing things. But leaders have a responsibility to be involved in this conversation because how can you know that the way you are going to treat somebody is like a fireball offense and they could sue you for it, but then know they're driving off of your corporate campus, right? And I'm paraphrasing and know they're driving off your corporate campus and they're going to be treated the opposite way and that it's okay for that to happen. The, the psychological safety, if you think about the rungs of Maslow's hierarchy, all the things that make us better employees, better contributors are under attack when we leave work whether it's virtual work or whether we're in the office, those things are under attack. And that is the very reason why corporations need to have a voice on this topic. Because if your people are under attack, your, re your return is under attack. And you have to understand that those two things go together. You know, you know, it's a follow up to that as I'm, as I'm processing and receiving what you're saying is even in this moment, like to your point, like investing your people, I know diverse and clearly diversity by, uh, the, the various levers that it measures uh, engage equity and inclusion and just overall uh, healthy employee experience for 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 at organizations y'all clearly are valuing employees however we're seeing like in these seasons we're seeing like continuous layoffs like in the tech industry we're seeing and we also see like just like in these capitalistic structures like every time stock price goes down and there's pressure to deliver the first thing that are released are people and so I'm curious, and in and, and the framework of what you're what you've spoken about, and, and the levers that you uh, you pull to measure uh, organizations for your for for the the assessments that Diversity Inc is so globally known for, where where in all of this that play a part? Like, let's say if there's a brand and they're like, okay, they had a layoff, they had an 11 percent layoff of their workforce, and half of them were black and brown. Like, where does that come into play with the ranking of an org? Right. So. I guess it would be helpful for folks to understand the organizations that trust us and then what 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 their level of expertise is, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about the Diversity Inc. Top 50 list, there are other lists, right? So in 2018, we created the Hall of Fame. And the Hall of Fame is a, um, a group of companies that since 2012, mm -hmm. uh, they ranked number one on our list. And let me tell you, that is no small feat. That survey is a monster. Um, let me, uh, you know, issue an apology to all the people responsible for filling out the 2023 <laughs> survey right now. Okay, um, we've, you know, we've uh, moved over to uh, Momentum's technology from Qualtrics. Um, we're doing everything that we can to make it easier, but this work is not easy. So certainly, a survey collecting data to determine who is doing it the best is not going to be easy, um, but it is worth it. And so when you think about those Hall of Fame companies, who's in that list? What organizations pull together data across multiple departments of multi-billion dollar organizations and then had a legal officer and a senior executive review the submission saying that the information submitted is true and notarized a document to that effect? Mm -hmm. Well, you have, you have Johnson & Johnson in the Hall of Fame. 
you have Marriott, you have Hilton, you have PricewaterhouseCoopers, EY, two audit firms, right? Those two organizations, and then KPMG is also on the top 50 list. Those organizations pretty much audit everybody's books, right? Right. <laughs> and so they trust us as a third-party validator of what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. You also have Kaiser Permanente, um, a, a, a major hospital and health insurer in the California um, area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation and Sodexo. Year after year, those organizations give us data and sit on edge to wait to see where they ranked. Many of them have ranked a number one more than once. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the Hall of Fame. That's a, a group of nine organizations. 2022, guess who was number one? Accenture. And I will pause because Jimmy Etheridge, the CEO, was on our stage in May and he told me in front of an audience, audience of many, Diversity Inc. is the external validator we need to understand if we're doing this work right. I love that. No, that's incredible. And it's also, you know, again, like it's the 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 depth that you go into to yeah. to, to validate and to your point. Like these are brands yeah. that these are brands that other brands trust and you're measuring them. So there's yeah, some, yeah. there's there's a lot of weight yeah. there. Um, yeah. And, and there's and I just want to go on because. I want to answer your question because the data that we get from those organizations helps us to understand what best in class looks like. So there's the nine hall of fame, there's 50 top 50, there's the top hospitals and health systems, top regional organizations, noteworthy, and then top utilities. That makes up 121 organizations we received data from and ranked. Now, mind you, we had 1800 participants that that's, those are the organizations that performed and were recognized. But having said that, there's that tech question. And so when you think about the, this whole, you know, philosophy or strategy of um, last in first out, right? Unfortunately, you're seeing that with organizations that have never really had a strong opinion and a lot of effort toward DEI, right? The murder of George Floyd, and unfortunately we say that, but there were other things happening in that time. There was the murder of George Floyd and others. There was also an increase um, in, in hate crimes against individuals who appeared visually, um, who were visually um, being identified as Asian. It wasn't just the murder of George Floyd. That's what we like to say. But there were a lot of other things that were that were grounded in hate happening. And so when you think about, you know, those organizations that just started doing this, right? They're the ones who were like, oh yeah, we care about diversity because it was really marketing and PR. It wasn't business foundational. It wasn't, it wasn't of shared value of leadership that they were pushing down into the organization. Not like it is with the diversity in top 50 companies or other specialty list ranked companies. I love that. Um, and you know, diversity Inc has this Huge brand, like, and I'm, and if I didn't, I meant to say at the top of this, uh, this conversation, but Living Corporate, uh, when we launched back in 2018, uh, one of our inspirations was Diversity mm. Inc. And so, like, I'm curious, like, you sit in this role as CEO. What are the things that you feel empowered to challenge and improve at Diversity Inc.? Hmm. So you know, um, I was I was named CEO in 2019. In 2016, um, Luke Visconti, um, who is presently the chairman um, and owner of Diversity Inc. and chairman, founder, and owner. um, In 2016, he stood on stage and told everybody his plans. 2010 is when he told me his plan. And we started working toward 2019. And I viewed it before as a challenge to get people to understand but it's really not a challenge for people who are interested and whose values are aligned because they do believe in their heart that all people are created equally. Mm-hmm. It is not a challenge. It is, it, it is a gift. It is an opportunity to help them craft their voice on the topic because they're doing the work internally. They just don't know how to communicate it externally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be a challenge, but, there are some extremely gracious leaders. I just mentioned Jimmy Etheridge, Michelle Buck at Hershey, um, you know, Chris Nassetta at Hilton. 
Um, you know, Ron O'Hanlon at State Street, State Street's on the Diversity Inc. Top 50 list for the first time in 2022 after, comp after competing for eight years. These leaders make this work worthwhile because they're using their influence for good because now, now they have the data to be able to back it up when the naysayers on Wall Street or wherever else tell them you're wrong. That's anecdotal. No, we have data to back that up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm really curious, um, as you know, as we just talked about the landscape of DEI, again, like you've been in this space uh for some time. You're not this is not mm -hmm. you're not new to any of this. I'd love to get your perspective on trends you're seeing and what you anticipate the space like diversity equity inclusion will look like, you know, over the next decade or so. Like um <laughs> and I, I ask because as I look at like one, again, like we've interviewed a lot of the brands and, and leaders um, and organizations that are on the Diversity Inc. list. Um, and so, mm -hmm. and then of course we talk to other folks and I don't know if diversity, equity, inclusion as its own domain is mm -hmm. long for this world. I really think that it's going to have to figure out a new identity within the context of ESG. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, do you think DEI professionals understand the connection between one, I want, of course, want to get your perspective on the landscape, but as a follow-up, I would like to get your perspective on the fact on if you think DEI professionals understand the connection between DEI and corporate enterprise sustainability. Right. So I think what we're experiencing right now um, is a shift in understanding that your expertise is not your dimension of diversity, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when you think about um, industries that that have done it well for a very long time, I have to give it up to professional services because what they would typically do is take a, a revenue generating partner, mm -hmm. they would put them in that role and then they rotate them out because they understand how, the, how this, pro, this topic managed effectively is business foundational, right? So when you have organizations and it's also how they view it um, and it's also what what catapulted them to that moment. Oftentimes it'll be a lawsuit <clears throat> or, or, the, or, the, or the threat of a lawsuit, right? Mm -hmm. um, it'll be a global pandemic, <laughs> right? Um, it'll, be, it'll be, you know, the, the type of racism that you can't deny and the outcome is murder. It is what, it, it's the thing that gets them to that place of understanding. And so you can just sit back and watch um, a couple of things on the internet. You don't even have to talk to anybody. You can understand a company's position on this by one, does the CEO have a CEO or US lead? Do they have a, a stance on this? Is there a statement on their website outside of the career section about the importance of diversity? What is the pedigree of the chief diversity officer and where are they situated in the organization? Are they a direct report to the US lead? Um, are they under HR? And what is their title and peer relationship to other senior leaders in the organization, right? Um, what type of work, what type of relationships that, that does that organize, does that employer have with nonprofit organizations? Uh, what type of supplier diversity um, uh, reputation does that organization have? And what do their employees say about them? Not not the glass doors of the world, because glass door to me sometimes seems to be. Um, a tool <laughs> to beat up leaders when you don't agree with them. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. um, and so though, there's a couple of things, like I said, that you can look to see. Um, and like I said, you don't even have to have a conversation with someone to understand an organization's commitment to this topic, mm -hmm. the leaders of the organization's commitment. And then last but certainly not least, what's their score with the human, for the, the Human Rights Campaign's Corporate Equality Index? Mm -hmm. um, or do you have a relationship with disability in? Are they certified with the National Race Development Council? There are some very specific things that you can look for to see what an organization's um, real sentiment and real value of this topic is. And it's not diversity. I hate, I hate when we put fairness under diversity because now diversity has become a bad word. This is about fairness and effective human capital management. That's what this is. You know, you just said something that like it, it, it made me think about another follow up for you. So you talked about Glassdoor being the space where potentially to beat up on leaders. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this is like um, I'm curious to get your perspective on the the rise of other Glassdoor like platforms 
mm-hmm. uh, that really seek to, based on what they state and what their what how they market, is to give voice to the reality of lived experience at organizations. Like, do one, I'm curious, like, what is your perspective on glass door like platforms? But but there have been more that are more focused on like black and brown historically marginalized experience. And then two, do you think do you think that that is a sustainable space for and 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 and, and what and if it and if it has value um in this whole like just employee experience space that we're in? So, you know, broadly, I cannot say negatively or positively the intent of why they stood that platform up. What I can provide here is advice on what to look for for you to make that decision for yourself. And that is, and using Diversity Inc. as an example, you know, we are a for-profit organization. We're not a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. But if this, because this topic is, this is our passion, right? This is our passion and our purpose that we are able to go to work every day and live out. But how do we give back to that purpose, right? And the way that we give back is by making sure that we have, we fund scholarships at colleges and universities that serve um, uh, folks from underrepresented groups. So HSIs, HBCUs, HSI is a Hispanically ser- Hispanic serving institution, HBC, historically black college university. And the reality of it is, we kind of do have to start saying that again, because a lot of people don't know what those two acronyms stand for. Absolutely. Um, you know, what, where, where are we making sure that we are, you know, through, uh, you know, shared marketing relationships, getting their message out there. Rainbow Push Wall Street Project, Haiku, Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities, um, National Association of Asian American Journalists. Mm-hmm. How are we making sure that we partner with organizations that are really doing the groundwork to elevate the voices and talent of underrepresented groups. And so back to your question around these platforms, if they are not giving back to the groups that they are making money off of, I think you can then determine for yourself what their intent is and why they were stood up. No, that's helpful. And I think I'm, and I agree like to a very large extent, I guess I'm probably talking more so about like the startups, right? Like you're talking, you know, the ones that are like the bootstrap startups that are looking to to give voice to those experiences. I think like my challenge sometimes, Carolyn, transparently with you is that it feels like so I'm not about to like pick on Glassdoor. Right. So this 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 is not a this is not that. But mm-hmm. I but I'm curious about is like I feel like there's a there's a genuine uh, class divide or almost like. Um, yeah, there's almost like this like worker employer divide and tension, right? So there's organizations and companies who are always going to want to be on lists, valid like Diversity Inc. or not like other brands, whether they pay or they're rightfully measured and Mm -hmm. to say, look how great we are. And there's going to be this other voice of like the populace of the, of the Mm -hmm. worker of the employee who says, Hey, like, I know they might be on this list, but like me and like 50 other people have had like really serious challenges over the last four years or, or mm-hmm, the case. And mm-hmm. so I, what I, I guess it's not really a question for you. It's more just like a thought is like, and I hope is as we continue in this world of work, what I, what I am going to continue to hope for is that there are spaces where mm-hmm. historically marginalized voices and employees can speak truthfully and unreservedly about their experiences at organizations. We all have had conversations. Well, I have had Several conferences before I take a job, I'll go on LinkedIn and find a black person or find a, <laughs> right? Hey, talk to yeah. me about what's really going on. Yeah, the interview was great. Yeah, I see what they got the article. Yeah, I see they got paid promotion on Forbes. Yeah, I see they did this. What is it really like working there? And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. an, and so I think there, I think it's important that there are spaces that democratize that experience and flatten it for, mm-hmm. and make it accessible to folks. You know what I mean? Right. Am I wrong? No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so I think, I think in order to remind people of their agency, you have to constantly educate them, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I think of startups, to your point, right, I think you have to make sure that you are putting, um, you know, validated research in front of both audiences. So validated research in front of the employer to help them understand um, what's happening in the workforce with certain populations, but then you also have to do the same for the potential employee, right? 
So as long as you're making sure that you educate people on the, you know, lookouts or don't let this be your gotcha, right? Mm-hmm. I think you're on 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 the right path. And and that and that's you know if I think about a, a recent experience, um, my own experience, in 2018, um, I launched the Women of Color and Their Allies event, right? And it, it was not just a gathering of you know you know women of color once a year to kind of have our um, you know love fest. Um, it was really intended to have employers talk about what they're doing. Um, and what they acknowledge is an issue with, with for women of color, and then to gather, um, you know, to get, we already are pulling together the data through the diversity top fifty survey, but this was our first opportunity to match how the employees feel, how the allies feel, with what the company actually has in place. Again, policies, practices, and procedures. Amen. This was our fifth year, right? So, mm-hmm. 2018 in person. 2019 in person, 2021 virtual, mm-hmm. and um, just you know, sidebar. We should have been doing this virtually or as a hybrid event all along. I'm trying so to let tell me you, just say that because <laughs> it's 2022. There's computers everywhere. We should be able to have some flexibility somewhere. Come on, listen. But but for this event, right? For people who couldn't travel and not couldn't travel because of financial restrictions, family commitments. Um, you know, it, issues like, you know, if they have a disability, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be excluded because it can't be in the room, you know, right. and isn't that the issue? That's the underlying issue for everything. Yep. It shouldn't be excluded or not thought of because you're not in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But 2022, we're back in person, right? Mm-hmm. And to hear from participants saying things like, I was going to quit until I attended this event because I didn't know my employer even realized that these issues, um, that these issues existed in our company. We, we got all these awards and all this other stuff, but a lot of that stuff kind of just feels like it's around us and we're not included. For me, that's when I knew that that was probably one of the best decisions I made in 2018 to fight for this event, to get uh, the, the visibility that it has now and to make sure that the women that it is intended to help get the visibility, recognition, and acknowledgement that they have deserved all along. You know, um, we actually had, um, you may know, we actually had Michael C. Bush, who's the CEO of Great Place to Work on Living Corporate. This is a, about, a, about, a, about a year and a half ago, Carolyn. We dug into the role. Uh, Michael, my, yeah, Michael is dope. I like him a lot. <laughs> Yo, Michael is, is really dope. He is really dope. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But this is about diversity, Inc., Carolyn. We're not going to do that now. We're going to talk about what we can <laughs> talk about. No, 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 no. We can, we can, but here's the thing, though. <laughs> we can acknowledge when somebody is dope while we're still talking about why we are, too. You know what? <laughs> Come on now. I like that. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I like your energy. Uh, <laughs> so we were talking about the role of the importance of data in DEI offices. You know, from J.P. Morgan to Amazon and others, we've continued Apple. We've continued to see C-suite leaders resist organizational mm-hmm. audits through the lens of equity and inclusion. Now, right. now again, if you can't tell, Living Corporate is more like, you know, we're more like the uh, like the voice of the of the of the worker, right? So, um, of mm-hmm. the employee mm-hmm. of the individual, we center and amplify historically marginalized voices at work. Um, is this a simple case of folks? not wanting to be held accountable or risk legal exposure or is there is there something else there am i being too reductionist in my analysis of their resistance you know um i think it would be unfair because i've you know for, for a lot of these corporate leaders in like tech um i i i haven't met them um what i will tell you though is for other organizations who did not really value the importance of this data then and now how they walk around with it in their back pocket it really it really started from a a proximate interaction okay um mm-hmm. and i'm going to borrow from uh, my 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 founder's story uh, luke was a um a navy helicopter pilot he got his commission with the marines and um when when it was time for him to move on to his next assignment. He was um, he was made to be a minority recruiter, right? Mm-hmm. And he was paired with a gentleman by the name of Tony Cato. 
and Tony Cato would listen to uh, Martin Luther King speeches in the car when they were going from this place to that place. And Luke did not look at this topic the way he does now before he interacted with Tony and heard Tony's stories, but most importantly, view Tony as from a, a capabilities perspective, given their job function and equal, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why it is so important for us to be senior leaders in these organizations. That is why it's so important for us to be in the heads of classrooms. That's what the PhD project of, what I'm, of an organization I'm on the board of. That's why it's so important for proximate interactions to happen because you need to be able to tie data with experiences we're all human beings and we all are feeling individuals. And so if I can show you a capable person and people in the data and then put you or pair you with somebody that can help you understand like that, that human feeling of capability, that's what they're missing. You know, if you think about Sheryl Sandberg at Facebook, it's great that she was, you know, mind you before, cause it's no longer the case. But it's great that she was able to, you know, be a, you know, a, a woman at Facebook, the only for a very long time, right? right? The only for a very long time, even after all the books and everything and the leaning circles and all this other stuff, the only. But somebody left that organization appreciating differently the contribution that women have to tech, finance, and any other area where people don't typically think we deserve or can perform or, or be in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's missing. That proximate interaction to accept that people that are different than you are capable. And that's what ESG is doing. And it's kind of funny because, you know, people talk about, you know, the nomenclature, multiculturalism, affirmative action, EEO, blah, 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 all this other stuff. But for ESG, Diversity Inc., again, for 21 years has been the get the, we've been the barometer of the s and the g yeah. effectively managed we have been we always will be now the e there are organizations that deal with the environmental piece that's been happening for a really long time yes but it's the s and the g that that's what we do and that's what we do well i'm excited about platforms such as diversity inc that have uh and you know to be and to share dopeness i'll also say uh the great place to work because it, about it's it's not just like capturing the data right like we talked a little bit about like there's plenty of survey platforms and if that's all you need to capture but but it's the work behind to then analyze and um, in an intersectional way various right. data sets that you that otherwise you you may not have thought about so it's and so there's a level of expertise and intentionality yeah. there that goes to say, okay, here's how we're going to cross stitch this data set with this and to uncover, and then to uncover these actual stories yeah. and then pair, and then to go further and deeper and say, okay, in light of the data, here's where you stand on this, or here's where we have some additional questions and where further investigation needs to happen. So here's the thing I will say, you talked about women and Sheryl Sandberg being the only one that's like, like, I can't tell you Carolyn how many times I've had conversations with organizations and just intersecting race and gender is a big deal, let alone like let alone examining turnover rate by race, gender, generational cohort, geo, time and position, performance, benefits, usage all at the same time. Like yeah, that yeah. blows folks. I mean, I've yet to have a conversation with someone and they go, oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, we do that every day. Like every time there's yeah. there's eyebrow raising their surprise. And so I'm so my point all that all that to say is when you talk about we're good at we know the S and the G, I'm excited about organizations that have access to that sort of data and are leveraging um again intersectional analysis for yeah. true insight. That's dope to me. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that you should say that because um you know, I've been busy, right? Um, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't just being busy as in, you know, running around and you know being back in corporate boardrooms, but busy hiring. And so, um, we have over the past eighteen months really built out the data department, um, which is led by Dr. Chris Parker, mm -hmm. and he's amazing. And um, Chris, I, I was talking with him, uh, preparing for a meeting, and I said to him, "I need you to let me know for 2022." how many participants gave us turnover data, mm -hmm. right? 
And we, that's, that's in the human capital diversity metric section of the survey. And we look at turnover by management levels, as well as overall workforce by gender, by race, right? By, by gender, by race. And then where there are voluntary disclosures because um, orientation, disability status and veteran status, those are voluntary, right? Mm-hmm. And do you know, and then there's two types of, in, of turnover. There's voluntary, meaning they, they left on their own and then involuntary, meaning they were terminated. Mm-hmm. 93% of the participants in the diversity and top 50 competition gave us turnover data. And you want to know why they did it? Because no shade to the human resource, to, to the human resources information systems that are available today. The way we look at the data, they don't, their, their systems aren't able to, oh, allow yeah. them to look at the data that way. That's not a surprise at all, Carolyn. I mean, yeah. And this is not a this is not an ad for for uh, Tableau or Power BI, but like most fo- a lot of people that I've talked to and work with, like the way that my the living corporate uses those tools, it's not really like a lot of it's that space is still as much as mature as you may assume it is. That data visualization and organizational assessment space is still very young. Like, yeah. and you you would think like you I I used to think. Even yeah. coming out of HR as an HR business partner, mm-hmm. I just used to think that everyone could do that or just kind of, and no. And like HR departments are not, that's not the way it is. But, but here's what's interesting. Um, while the, while the platforms, right? Cause we use Tableau, you know, and yep. you know, Tableau, a Salesforce company, Salesforce owns everything. DocuSign, every, <laughs> Slack, Asana, just like <laughs> it's everything. everything. Um, and, and, and mind you, where we're on enterprise version of Salesforce, mm-hmm. we invest a lot in technology. We mm-hmm. depend on um, a lot of those applications heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, the analysis for the diversity Inc. top 50 and the generation of those benchmarking reports, we use Tableau for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mind you, there's a lot of technology on the way to getting it ready for Tableau, mm-hmm. but that's where it all ends up, right? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. You, you got it because some people use R and Python and stuff like that. To exactly, exactly. I know. So, <laughs> I know you know. So, so what what I think is interesting about that is the visualization is fine. Mm-hmm. It is knowing what things that you need to look for to visualize, what you need to connect that is significant and tells the story through the visualization. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. And and Diversity Inc. has no corporate debt, no outside investors. Because we will not have anybody tell us what to write or what to point out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. If you have a group of, if, if there is fairness in your high potential identification, meaning for management, your the, the ratios are as close to one as possible. So um, the ratios for management versus high potential identification for women is one-to-one or close to it. There's fairness there. So how sad would it be if you've done the work to make sure that there's fairness in your high potential identification program, but then you don't make sure that those people are mentored or sponsored. But if you don't know to connect those things to see how it's working out, then that is a recipe for regrettable loss and it is unnecessary. But if your systems don't tell you and are not structured to make sure that those things line up, guess what? The American Center for Progress, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, said it's a 210% replacement cost. Direct, direct replacement cost. That's not indirect. Lost productivity, lack of communication. So if you could just make sure that those small things are properly linked and you are looking at them often enough, a certain body, we typically look at the Executive Diversity Council that will monthly, at least monthly, be tracking these things, then guess what? What are you going to do? And that's the power of organizations like Diversity Inc. We are here to make sure that you can see what's happening with your workforce in a way that legal may not typically have allowed you to do in the past, or that the system that you're on or migrating to is not ready yet to be able to help you do. First of all, we can keep going, but I'm going to honor this time, this block that we have, because I know uh-huh. you're going to come back on Living Corporate. So I'm going to ask this last question, and I'm going to give you some <laughs> okay, time back. I, okay, well, let me, let, me, let me get to my notes. Which question is it? <laughs> Carolyn! <laughs> what? It's, okay. I'm not, 
I'm not just doing this off the hip. I'm not. I'm good. I'm just saying. <laughs> the, this is the last one. <laughs> oh my gosh! This is what a great day. Uh, uh, so, oftentimes when we talk DEI, we we go to mm-hmm. you know the first things we do, and some of this I believe is. Is, is is racism and and misogyny and other isms is that every time we think about like non-white folks and, and like because DEI immediately you start thinking non-white people but it's like okay well let's 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 train and mentor them there's a certain level of like presumptive um incompetence we take um but 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 anyway like we actually had Michelle Gaston Williams on years ago this was back when she was actually still at Accenture um and she dropped a bar and it went something like <laughs> Black professionals are over mentored and under sponsored. Um, mm-hmm. What if you know? First, of all, like, what's your reaction just to like that statement? Um, she's right, right. And 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 let's just talk about Michelle for a moment. Um, Michelle, for in twenty eighteen, um, she was the first um, lunch keynote that Diversity Inc. ever had for. Um, the Women of Color and Allies event. Mm-hmm. Um, we purchased copies of her book, Climb, and we made sure that every attendee had it. Um, Michelle's, M- Michelle's comment was not just based on a feeling, it was based on experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle started at Johnson & Johnson. From Johnson & Johnson, she went to Novartis. Then from J- Novartis, she went to Credit Suisse, um, then Accenture, and then, and now she's at BlackRock, Black right? Mm-hmm. And so what she said was not, again, anecdotal or just a feeling. It was it was grounded in data. Right. And while Michelle has been doing this work for a very long time, unfortunately, it took um, a partnership between McKinsey and Lean In to document that experience for people to believe it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is why this proximate just going back to what we talked about before these these proximate interactions are important because if not for a michelle gadsden williams or a wanda hope at johnson and johnson right now who is the global um uh, inclusion and diversity officer um if not for yolanda friend who is now right now the north america um lead for dei at accenture if not for these women if not for shannon schuyler at pricewaterhouse coopers or Leslie Patterson at EY for responsible for DEI in the um, the U.S. Or Karen Twarnight responsible for DEI globally. If not for these women, and mind you, they're not just black women that I named. They're black women and white women. Okay. Or Nellie Barrero at Accenture, right, who's Latina. If not for these women and those proximate interactions, McKinsey or Lean In wouldn't have seen value in even going down the road to find that data to then make sure it was valid to report it out. And so Michelle is absolutely right. And I am sure there's more she could have said on that topic. Y'all could have been talking, you, you, from the time she was on here with you to now, you could still be having that conversation because it is true mm-hmm. and the data proves it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I fully appreciate the concept of and you know, upskilling and training and mentoring and like I'm I'm never going to like knock any of that. But for mm-hmm. me, like I don't think that historically marginalized folks don't know how to operate. Like I don't I don't think that I don't think that education is like the biggest gap. I think it's because they really we're rarely and historically have not been empowered to make those decisions and move. Like I'm right. I'm yeah. I'm I'm curious, like when you think about like and Living Corporate has explored and had several guests on to talk about the relationship between um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and and power. And I'm curious, like, where does the concept of power redistribution fit within your ethic as a leader, especially when you think about the work that Diversity Inc. does and, like, creating inclusive and equitable work, like, supporting or... Measuring yeah. those things, like where does that fit into the work that you do, and and how you right. how you see the space? All right. So, um, but before we go on to that, just to kind of stick to this whole concept of mentoring and sponsorship, right? Um, mentoring can be something an app does, right? Sponsorship is a decision a leader makes, and they make that decision because of interaction and proximity. And so, going back to Michelle's statement that people are over-mentored and under-sponsored. If you think about some of the questions in our survey, we ask, 
for your level one and twos and the way in which we allow organizations to kind of normalize their management to fit in our, our, our levels. Level one is the US lead and his or her direct reports. Level two are their direct reports, three their direct reports. And in 2017, we added level four, understanding that that's the bench, bench if you are a build type of organization and not a buy. Build meaning you have leaders come up in the organization, buy, you bring talent in from the outside, right? And so we ask, are your levels one and two required to participate in mentoring and sponsorship programs? If they're not, then there are a lot of, there's three very important next places that you look to understand the impact of that decision or lack thereof that engagement. So it is absolutely, again, the data shows it. When you see people being sponsored, you see people being promoted. When you don't see people being sponsored, you don't see the level of promotions that you should that are fair based on workforce makeup, right? Yeah. And yep. engagement. So I just wanted to share that with you. So you're right. Because and, I, and I, there's, you know, to Michelle, to uh, Ms. Gaston Williams' quote, uh, there's over mentorship and there's under sponsoring. So like, and sponsorship to me really is an exercise in power sharing, right? It's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's, it's Happy me, power. right? It's this, it's me as this senior person or person yep. with access or person with network sharing that, or maybe even conceding it to someone else. And so, yep. and that, that's the piece of, and you, you answered the question there as well, yeah. but it's, it's yeah. the fact that like, that's what needs to happen. And I don't, when we talk about like diversity, it's oftentimes, hey, look at this non-white person that we're like tokenizing and like standing up as a, a fixture of whatever and not so much mm -hmm. a, hey, look at, we've actually conceded space to this person or this group and we're yeah. empowering them to make the decisions in this organization. Yeah. Um, so just on the, on the whole topic of sponsorship, I think, you know. Carla Harris really started to help us focus. Carla Harris, Morgan Stanley, she really started to help us focus, not just on definitions, but on outcomes, right? And then if you think about, um, you know, Tashonda Brown Duckett, you know, she was at Chase. Now she's the, um, the CEO of TIAA. And so if you think about it, we have some real examples to point to of when sponsorship goes right, okay? And so look for those, but and don't just listen to the stories, but look at the organizations that they came from and then where they went to because they understood the power of it. And then look at the shape of those organizations that they went to and how strong they are when it comes to these topics that worked out really well for them to even take on that seat. Um, I, I think that like the, the, the kind of like following and mapping to understand trends that's what we have to do effectively if we're going to win. Carolyn, we could go on all day. <laughs> you know, I told you I was going to honor your time. Thank you so much for being a guest on Living Corporate. Uh, we consider you a friend of the show. We hope to have you back. And we'll talk to you soon. I'm here for it. <laughs> And we're back. Yo, thank you so much to Carolyn Johnson of Diversity Inc. Thank you so much for all your leadership, um, your courage, your candor, um, your dedication to uh, transparency, accountability, and awareness. I'm excited about the future of this space, the future of this work. I'm excited about the role that brands like Diversity Inc. play to create accountability and awareness and voice to employees um, and also that put spotlights on the brands that are doing the right things. I'll also say that, you know, the future is not one that gives backpacks to corporations. The future is one that I believe will continue to center and amplify the worker that will center and amplify uh, the black and brown historically marginalized worker. I do not believe that uh, we're seeing some flash in the pan. I believe the trend will continue that uh, voices, individual voices will continue to organize and operate as a collective to demand equitable treatment. And it is 
imperative that organizations respect this trend or that they perish because there's more workers than there are corporations and irrespective of what brands may like to say or think brands need workers they need talent to survive so i'm excited about the future of data and employee experience i'm excited about the brands that choose to lean in to that space and that work and i'm excited about living corporate make sure y'all check us out everywhere you listen to podcasts make sure you check us out on living-corporate.com create a profile you can listen to this conversation and many more and uh, give us five stars on apple Podcasts. all right catch y'all next time Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.